morning, New City Church. Happy, happy Jersey Sunday. Glad to see you're all here. This is, no, this is not a Randy Moss jersey. This is my high school jersey. Um, and I don't want to hear any comments about how I'm, I'm nearly violating the midriff policy at New City Church. I don't want to hear it. I've got a pulpit in front of me. That'll, that'll protect me. The best count, somebody, somebody said this morning, somebody said, Pastor, I don't know if you and the pads would still fit in that same, in that, in that one shirt. I said, shut up, Ken. Um, okay. So uh, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun thing we do every year. Um, um, uh, we just like to have a little fun, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the Super Bowl tonight. But for this morning, our task is John. Before I get to that, I do have one extra announcement um, uh, that I, want, I wanted to announce this personally just because I'm on the missions team. And if I'm, if I'm taking Mike's cue with the football theme, this is like a really, really far away game. Uh, we're, we're having a, a new city missions trip this year. Um, we announced it at the ministry meeting, but we haven't announced this yet at church. So I don't have, I, I don't, I'm not high on details right now right now, but just something you can put on your calendars and pray about. We support several ministries that, that sort of work together in Lima, Peru. God is starting to do an awesome thing there. They're beginning to plant churches. They, 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 they've looked at what we do in the States. It doesn't exactly translate, but they want to continue to spread the gospel in a, in a really big city in South America. So we're going to be actually going there. Those dates are rough. They're, they're, they're plus or minus a few days on either end. But that last week of October, first week of November, we're looking for a team that will, will help go down. Uh, to Lima, Peru, and that will help uh, do some outreach in their, for their mother church, and then also uh, um, do some support for the, the future church plants that, the, that they have there. There's a soccer ministry. There'll be some other um, specific ministries, and you can get those details on the third. We'll have just an info meeting after church. Uh, we'll just kind of meet in that south wing. So if you're you, going to the meeting doesn't make you, uh, doesn't get you a ticket to Lima, but if you're at all interested in that, hearing more about that, Pastor Chuck will lead that trip, and he's going to uh, lead that meeting. So please put that date on your calendar. Right after church, we'll, we'll have just a little bit of info on uh, Lima, Peru. I'll be praying about the possibility that you might go to Lima. Okay, so we are in John. We just started last week. John is a gospel, and uh, uh, we are taking our time going slowly through the first part of the book. Um, as you can see, um, uh, the whole book laid out before you here, generally it divides into two uh, categories, the signs of Jesus and the hour of Jesus, but we, for, for, for a time, up through Easter, are going to walk very slowly through the prologue. And the reason for that is partially because how John has written it. John likes to write simple sentences with small words. But the design of, of these sentences and the, this writing is that we would sit on and meditate the, on those words and think about what that means. So this is a gospel. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And so John, sentence by sentence, is unraveling a little bit, who is Jesus? Um, so if you, if you remember last, last week, um, the, he opens his, his gospel with a very interesting idea that Jesus is the logos. He's the word. And we talked a little bit about what that might mean. I mean, to, to, to pagans, it was something like the force, like the power in the universe, even the wisdom in the universe. To the Jew, it meant all kinds of things. The word of God is how he created things, how he saves his people, how he communicates with his people. And then also, word just means word, a message or a word. And so John, in opening his gospel by saying, Jesus is the word, He's saying that the word of God, the message of God, the power, uh, the, the, the power that God used to create and to save and to, to talk to us has come through Jesus Christ, the son of God. So it's a, it's a profound thing that we, we should chew on. It's one of those small words. How is it that, that Jesus is God's word? 
his power, his, his message to us. So that's what we covered last week. We're, we're just going to uh, read three more verses this week. Um, but so, so we, we established uh, a lot last week that, that Jesus not only um, has these attributes, but he also is God himself. That Jesus is God come down to earth and, and putting on sort of the, the uniform, the jersey of a man putting on flesh, fully God and fully man. And that he is the word of God. He is God's message to us. Everything God wanted to say in a man. Now the question before us today is, what kind of word is that? What kind of message is Jesus to us? We're going to tackle that. It has to do with uh, these, these great two cosmic powers, light and darkness. Let's pray. Um, I'm going to pray for, uh, we have a team going out to Lafayette, Indiana to a, a, a counseling conference, so I'll pray for them also at the, at the outset here just for their safety, and then we'll open our Bibles to John chapter 1. Lord, we do thank you for this Sunday. We thank, thank you that we could have some fun. And uh, God, every good thing comes from you. We know that. We, we often say that. And we're just grateful uh, for fellowship and for a place to meet and for a word to gather around. Lord, help us um, through this word to understand Jesus better, to even draw nearer to him uh, as, as we learn who he is and what he does in our lives. Lord, uh, be with the, the van and the few cars that are headed up to Lafayette, Indiana. Bless those people. Give them safety and um, pray that you would uh, open their hearts and uh, have, a, have a word for them as well. Uh, we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to focus on verses 3 through 5, but it's a, it's, a, it's a short enough passage. We'll just read the whole, the whole paragraph. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. So, just the three verses, and we're going to look at, at three things. What is God's message to us? What kind of message is he is he telling us through Jesus? We're going to look at Jesus the maker, Jesus the giver, and Jesus the light. And that third one is where we'll spend most of our time. Why does he call him the light? So Jesus the maker, Jesus the giver, and Jesus the light. Let's start with Jesus the maker. So this is a really crude Bible timeline that I made later last night than I'd like to admit. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of cartoony and it's not uh, to scale or anything. But it sort of gives you a rough idea, you know, if, if to the left is where the Bible starts, God, let there be light, creation, and then the fall with Adam and Eve is the apple. There's Abraham is, is the man with the beard there. The Ten Commandments, King David, and all the way up through Christ. Let's just, I'm just trying to demonstrate that's a sort of chunk of time that the biblical authors have to work with when they were writing the story of, of Jesus. Um, but as we talked about last week, Mark starts almost immediately. He, do, he doesn't even cover when Jesus is born. He covers right before uh, the cross, the three years of Jesus' ministry. He gets right, right to it in the narrative. Matthew uh, traces uh, Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Abraham. So he starts in the timeline a lot further back than Mark. Luke traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Now, none of these authors necessarily have Jesus doing anything during these times. They're simply laying out a genealogy saying, you can trace Jesus' ancestry all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam. 
Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first beginnings of the Bible obviously start with creation. And now the thing that we're, that we're talking about today is John does something unique. He's a unique gospel writer for many reasons, and one of them is he starts before all of that. He's imagining a time when there was no time. He's imagining a place when there was nowhere, before things were created. That's where John is placing Jesus in the timeline. And we, we read that in, in our verse. So, so for John, John, not that the other authors would disagree, they just don't emphasize this quite as much. For John, Jesus is before all things. Jesus was around before all of this happened. Now, I, I've got the cross there. Obviously, the cross doesn't happen at that point in history. It happens later um, uh, at, at, at the, the, the appointed time that God made. But you get, the, you get the idea that Jesus is around before creation. What was he doing then? We learned last week he's before all things. He was with God and he was God. But what was Jesus doing back before all of this began? Well, we learned, we learned this. He was, he was creating All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, again, simple sentence, just like John repeats it. He says it positively and negatively. All things were made through him. And he's talking about Jesus. So when you think of that creation story, let there be light, uh, when God separates the sky and the waters, who are you imagining is doing that? You probably imagine God the Father, the Spirit hovering over the waters. John is is telling us something here. He says Jesus was there creating the things uh, along with the Father and the Spirit. That Jesus is is a maker. Jesus made things. In fact, what, what can we give Jesus credit for making? All things. He states it positively and negatively. He says everything that was made, Jesus did that. Anything uh, without him, nothing got made. So a very simple statement, but it's a profound thing. Do you put in your mind, when you think all the way back to the creation, do you put Jesus there as, the, as, as, as part of the, of, of the create, creating, creating process? Uh, Hebrews and, and 1 Corinthians shed a little bit more light on this. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, through whom also he created the world. And then if there's anything like, like, a, like what a job description, or what did the father do, what did the son do, you can kind of get something out of that, out of 1 Corinthians 8. For us, there's one God the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So I don't think, New City, I'm going to be able to exactly pin this down for you exactly how it worked. But Paul to the Corinthians says, the creation comes from God the Father. And yet the agent that he used to make all of the things, his word, is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is in the beginning making all things. And this is just a characteristic of this gospel. I'm introducing this book to you slowly over the course of some weeks. There's much to talk about. But the one thing I want to talk about today is that this gospel, more than any other gospel, majors on the Trinity, the very nature of God. And so, so in the beginning of his gospel, John is describing something that seems indescribable to us, and it's really difficult for us to comprehend. He's with God, and he is God. He's getting, he's getting to this, this doctrine that was, uh, that was uh, acknowledged very early on in the church, that God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are, are, are distinct individuals, and yet the nature of their relationship is such 
that, that, that you can't tease them out into being three different gods. It's one God. Their, 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 their unity and their love for one another is, is, is manifest in one being, and yet in three different persons. And so you, 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 tr- we, you see history and, and the history of church art try to get to the bottom of this. I just cringe when I see something like this. I don't like it when God the Father is depicted as an old man with a beard. But it's, it's, it's trying to get at something. What, what is this relationship like? This graphic has become uh, very popular lately because it, the words on it are true. The Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Son is God. They're not like a third of God or a part of God or, or a version of God. Jesus Christ is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet, they aren't each other. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross. So this is, this is something, this is a mystery of our faith. But John, more than any other author, loves to talk about what is going on here. And this, the, all the words up there are technically true, but it's so unsatisfying. Like, it's so profound, this thing that we're talking about. The nature of God. That, that before you and I, came, before anything came into being, he was in this perfect, loving relationship, and he was one and yet three persons. Um, it's something that you could chew on and think about for a while. It actually... I scroll up here. It actually is where we get um, the graphic for the series in the first place. John writes very simply. So in our, in, our, in our graphic, Kristen did this really well. I said make it very simple, but it reveals something divine. Um, and then also you can, you can see the Trinity in, in, the, in the graphic. It's, it's a crown, but it's also the, th- the three in one. It's such a huge part of this gospel for John. So this is, this is unsatisfactory. It gets us maybe information, but, but, but to know that Jesus Christ is in the beginning creating things, that's for you. That's, that's part of God's message. Jesus, your Savior, is also your creator. So not, not to put too fine a point on it, but Jesus made that. And he made this, and he made this, and he made this, and he made this, and this. And he made this, and he made all of these, and he made this, and he made this, and he made this. <laughs> Anybody familiar with the blobfish that just recently discovered? It's rumored to be the ugliest animal in all of creation. But Jesus made it and has a purpose for it. Made this, these, and this. You get the idea? Jesus created. He was the agent God used to make things. Now, what does that have to do with us, or, 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 or why, do we, why do we care? Well, let's, let's look at the second thing that he does, which is Jesus the giver. So Jesus the maker, Jesus is involved in creation. He is, nothing was made without him in, in all of creation, which means he wasn't made himself. So what's, what does John say next in this? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we, we, we won't spend long here. But Jesus is the one, we find out in this verse, who gives life to all the creatures. All the things that are living and breathing, that comes from Jesus. In him was life. And then it goes further, what he gives to, not just, not just mankind, he gives us breath, we're living just like the animals are, just like the plants are. But, but the, what he gives to mankind is his light. Meaning, if you, if you read that, that creation story in Genesis 1, he's making all of these wonderful things. I just showed you some pictures of them, right? He's making all of these things, and then he makes men, and he gives them light. We're going to talk about what that light means necessarily in the, in the third point. But, but, but to begin, it, it shows that we are a different type of creature. So Jesus made everything, and then he made us. And we have the light, the image of God in us. 
And, and, and how, how I might demonstrate that is, um, think about how you process the world. How do you, take, how do you take in things? How do you take information? How do you think about things? How do you feel about them? Now think about how a rock does that. It doesn't. <laughs> it's lacking something that you have. A rock doesn't have the light that Christ gave us. Uh, close, close your eyes. And close your ears. That's how a rock experiences everything. That's a rock's day and night. and it, just, it doesn't, right? Now, God made higher orders of things. He made animals. And he made intelligent animals. You get to dolphins and dogs and chimpanzees. And it starts to... It starts to they have human characteristics. We even talk about them like, like they're humans. They have feelings. They have family. That sort of thing. And yet, we, his, his special creation people, have something. It's a light. It's something that he gave us. That we resemble him. We're, we're not perfect at all, don't hear me wrong, but we are like little, little lowercase g gods down here on earth. We can, we can think, we can reason, we, we're capable of doing good things, uh, given a, a few parameters, and we, we'll talk about those as well. So Jesus is not only the maker, but he is the giver of life. Now what does that have to do with you? If he made you, and especially if he made you for a purpose... There is nothing more painful in your life than when you go against that purpose. The cause of our sin, our frustration, our pain is when we act as though those things are not true. Jesus didn't make me. Jesus, done, Jesus didn't have a specific idea in mind when he had me. I can do whatever I want. I'm the, I'm the designer. I'll, t- I'll take it from here, right? When you go against how he has created you, it causes pain. And the, the other side of that is there is nothing better than discovering and living out and acting exactly how God made you. You're you're, you're obeying the owner's manual. You're doing exactly what he made you for. And what that is is... I mean, it's, it's, it's a ton of stuff. We don't, we don't have time for it. It's, it's living in fellowship with him. It's living a life of love. It's, it's us living together uh, uh, peacefully um, and considering others be- one another better than, the, than ourselves. Living humbly, um, worshiping him, enjoying his presence. I, it's, it's the Christian life. He's made you for that, for those good things, to enjoy those things. It's just when we get sideways is when we forget who made us and why he made us. That's the greatest source of pain for us. So Jesus is the maker and Jesus is the giver. I want to spend the bulk of our time on this idea, though, that he's the light. Why exactly is Jesus the light? And so for this, I I, want to, again, it's John. Things are simple, but we need to... dwell on them and think about them um, and meditate so that we can get something out of the text. So what is this idea of light? The Greek word is phos. And, and, and like m- much of the, many of these words, it sort of has the, the simple meaning and then maybe the more profound meaning. Anything emitting light, so it's just another word for light. I'm experiencing light right now up here more so than you are, although you're experiencing some. And then uh, secondly, it's metaphorically of God or light can, can mean the truth. We can shed light on, on some things. But how, how, how can we think about this? Why is Jesus the light? And I, what I wanted to do, I, I, brought, I brought a little prop up here. Um, it's it's going to be hard to do an uh, um, object lesson with light when I have so many bright lights up here. Um, but I, I know this is simplistic, but I was once a kid's pastor, and John writes simply, so I'm excusing myself for doing some simplistic things. Okay, so this is a flashlight. You can't really see it really well because there's a lot of light. But I think if I found a, a corner over here, 
where we're, where we're not pointing so many lights. Can y'all see kind of that, kind of the, the, the light streak that I'm making? So you probably haven't given this much thought because it's just the most natural thing. Uh, you, when you're a baby, you understand light and darkness, or at least you have a sense of it. But if you, were to, if you were to pit those two things together, light versus darkness, just like I can't tell you how many articles I've read about the 49ers and the Chiefs. What are the keys to the game, right? Well, this is light versus darkness. Who, who, who would win that matchup? I'm, I'm not talking yet about good versus evil. I'm talking about just scientifically. Who wins light versus darkness? Well, one of the advantages that darkness has is that it's the default. Darkness is the default. Um, when you all leave here, everything gets shut down, and this, this place will be almost jet black. Things, things aren't naturally glowing in our world. They're naturally dark. They need a light to act upon them. So this corner up here, it's just going to stay dark until we put some resources towards it and we point the light towards it, right? So, so things are naturally dark in and of themselves. That's, let's say, an advantage that darkness has over light. The other thing that it has is darkness requires no energy. If you see something right now, if, 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 if light is bouncing off of me or something else and you see it, it's because energy is being expelled. We're tapping into um, our, our outlets here in the building. This, ba- this uh, flashlight is using uh, battery. So, so this is another advantage that, that, light, that darkness has over light. If we turned off all the buildings, in, uh, all the lights in the building, and I just left this flashlight up here, who would win, darkness or light? Darkness, because it's gonna, it's, it'll run out eventually, and and even 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 as it's shining, it's it's not it's not very much light. So these, as as I meditated on this, it's like, okay, what advantage does darkness have? Well, it, things are dark naturally, and also it takes nothing to have darkness. Darkness is just it requires no energy. It's, it's actually you could define it by the lack of light. So what is what is the advantage that light has? The advantage that light has is anytime light shines in a place, it always wins. So as I go back to my dark corner, there's no such thing as if I, if I were to try to shine a light on this saying, oh, it doesn't work, that corner's too dark. No, any time that the light interacts with dark, the light wins. This, the darkness can't overcome light. It's actually the opposite. Anytime light uh, intersects with any part of a, of a space, it wins. There's no such thing as it's too dark or the light can't, can't overcome it. So darkness is the absence of light and light is sort of the antithesis of darkness. They're the exact opposites of each other. Light will only lose this battle um, if, if uh, there's not enough of it, if the darkness can't be reached, if I've got a single flashlight for a whole building, then, then darkness wins. Um, or if, if it's not bright enough, if, if it's not powerful enough of a source. Okay, so now that we're thinking sort of like scientifically, pivot to the spiritual. When John talks about light, he, he means probably all of these things, but, but certainly one or two of them. Light in the spiritual sense is our, our true things. And, and, and we can get this from the scientific sense too. Um, if, you, if it's total darkness, you, know, you have almost zero information of where you are. The sun comes up and now you know. Now you have truth. You can see if, if you're about to fall off of a cliff or if you're about to walk onto a path. So light for John can mean true things, knowing the truth. It can also mean good and evil. 
So there's like a moral element to this. And we see this all over. Um, I hate to keep referencing Star Wars, but I, I guess Star Wars is very accessible. And, and star, the, the writers of Star Wars write like John. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the good and evil. It's the dark side versus the Jedi, right? There's this dualism. And, and, and Old, Testament, or Old and New Testament authors use darkness and light because they're the exact antithesis of each other. Wherever there is light, the darkness runs away. And wherever there is not light, the darkness crowds in. It's the same with good and evil. And ultimately up to God where he cannot, he cannot tolerate darkness. He won't be in its presence. With him, it's just light. And that brings us to our final thing for, for, for what John would see light as. It's God's presence himself, wherever God goes. And this, this also has a, it has a literalness to it as well. When Paul runs into Jesus uh, on the road uh, to Damascus, what does he appear as? A blinding light. When Moses goes up to receive the commandments and he comes back down, he's just been with the Lord, he is glowing. When the apostles go up uh, the Mount of Transfiguration and they, say, they see Jesus for who he really is, what is he? Bright, glowing, right? And so for John, the light is to know what's true, to do what's good, and to be with God. Very simply, if you are in the light, those things are true of you. Because light follows God wherever he goes. Um, God is, is, is ultimately good and he is a God of truth. And then the, op- the opposite is your existence in the darkness. You believe untrue things, you do wicked things, and you do not have the presence of God with you. This, by the way, is also where we get our descriptions of heaven and hell. Um, uh, um, Pastor Nemers read this a couple weeks ago. The city, this is in Revelation 21, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Why are we hearing about how bright heaven is? It's because God is light. Jesus is the light of men. Hell is the same way, though. When we think of hell, maybe the first thing we think about is fire. It's the destructive part of fire. But it doesn't have the glowing element of fire. Cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's our description of hell. Darkness. You can't see anything. You don't know what's true. You, do, you can't do what's good. And God is gone. It's, the, it's God removing his, it's the light shutting off and removing his presence. So you have this concept, it's like dark fire. It, it has the destructive uh, characteristic of fire. It consumes and consumes and does damage, but it gives none of the glow. None of the light comes in, through in hell. So when, when he says, when John says he's the, he was the light of men and that light shines in the darkness, he's talking, he wants us to think about the simple things like when you turn a light on and off, right? But he also is, is trying to get us to think about this huge cosmic showdown. Truth versus lies, good versus evil, God versus hell, the absence of God. So how is Jesus our light? Two verses that'll help us, both were also written by John. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We might have assumed that, but, but, but it's making crystal clear. He is totally true, totally good. And then in John 3 it says this, and this is our indictment. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
So darkness is the default. A room is going to be dark until a power acts on it, an outside power, well, with a source of energy acts upon it. And in John 3, Jesus says, that's you. Your default is darkness. The, the best example of this, and it's, it's cliche, it gets used a lot, but there's a reason because it's really illustrative. Um, you do not have to teach a kid how to be selfish. You have to teach a kid how to share toys. They come out of the package naturally being selfish. They will, if you don't parent them, they will steal things and they will act in their own self-interest. But you have to exert an outside force. You have to, you have to use energy to say, now, now... <laughs> Let them play with it. I'll time it. You, uh, he can play with it for five minutes now, and then you can have it. That's, that's the kid version of it. The grown-up version is, we understand that verse, don't we? That men love the darkness. Each of you in your own individual life can go back to something where you, en- you enjoyed something and pursued something, and you would, you'd be devastated if anybody else found out about it. Or maybe you wore it on your sleeve for a while, but there's a reason that, that like dingy bars aren't, you don't walk in and the lights are this bright, right? It, those things are done in the darkness, right? There's a reason that they dim the lights in, in establishments where they want you to do kind of your, your, your things that you're a little bit ashamed of that you would rather not bring to church on a Sunday morning. Men love darkness. We do. And that's our default. We live in the fallen world that doesn't believe in truth, um, that is lost and is, is wicked. And then the light shines on dead and dark men and women. That's the story John is, is leading us to. This is the gospel. This is a story of Jesus' life. And as he's telling it, he's saying there was light and there was darkness, and the light was shining on men and women who were dwelling in the darkness. And what do we know? What do we know from, from the flashlight? Darkness is the default, but light always wins. Wherever there is light, the darkness flees. And so John is saying, this is what Jesus' effect is on us. When the light comes into your life, when you believe, when, like the Hank Williams, I saw the light. When you see the light, you can live in truth. You can do good things. You can be in the presence of God. That's the light. And the light always wins. Wherever it goes, it wins. Do you remember in Jesus' lifetime when he would interact with people who were possessed by demons? He would interact with evil forces. Do you remember how the demons would talk about him? They they wanted to flee. Don't, Don't torture us, Jesus. Let us run away. Let us get away. That's the light coming into the darkness. And the darkness can do nothing about it. It's the same in your life. The sins, the wickedness, the bad things that you carry, the bad things that you don't want us to know about. Jesus comes to shine a light on those, to forgive you of your sins so that you can walk with him, be in his presence, be in the light, step out into the light. No one is too dark. There's no such thing as shining your flashlight and saying, oh gosh, it's just too dark out tonight. No, the light always wins. No one is too lost. No one has done anything too bad. Isn't that good news? Isn't that really, really good news that the light shines on dark and dead men and women and the darkness has not overcome it? It says it gives them life. 
Uh, one, one commentator said, uh, the bushel of obscurity could not conceal the light of Christ. And I've thought about that a lot. If, if, if uh, I'm studying a book right now that talks about um, Jesus' impact on history. Think of the things that Jesus said uh, that, that are just kind of common knowledge to us or assumed to us today, but that were radical back in the day. Love your enemy. Um, humility as a virtue. Uh, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The, the idea that the king, there are some things that aren't the king's, that the king isn't the ultimate authority. The, 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 all these things which we would say are good and, and, and common things did not exist until Christ. Christ comes and, and he makes humility a virtue in, in, in human history. And that light is still shining. His impact is still shining. It's 2024 because 2,024 years ago, according to somebody's math, Jesus Christ was born. I think the math was off by four years, but you get the idea. How bright is that light? The light from a man who was mostly towards the end of his life homeless, died a criminal's death, never wrote a book, never led uh, uh, an army in battle. And that light is still shining. The bushel of obscurity could not hide it. Let's read the last verse. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now this one would have been hard to believe, especially if you'd have been there on the day that Jesus died. That the darkness hasn't overcome it. We know that if I, if I shine the flashlight in the darkness, it will illuminate it. There's no such thing as too dark. But if you were to ever bend that rule, if you were to ever really doubt that, that maybe, maybe the darkness wins here, it's at the cross. An innocent man is declared guilty. His friends treat him like a stranger. The prince of peace is met with violence. The glorious king is treated with shame. The son of God is rejected by the father. The creator is being destroyed. The God who is powerful over everything, made everything, is being nailed to a board and cannot move. The word of God can barely speak and the life of the world is getting killed. And you remember what happens at about noon on that day. Literal darkness descends upon the land. So if there was ever a day where you would say, ah, John, I think I disagree. I think there was one instance where the darkness prevailed. Either the light wasn't bright enough or it wasn't powerful enough, but the light did not prevail. But what does he say? The light shines in the darkness. Now, we won't get too far into the grammar here, but do you notice what tense that is? Present. Now. It is shining now. John wrote many, many years after the death of Jesus Christ. How is it that he can say, the light of God, Jesus, still is shining today? Because he rose from the dead. Because Jesus Christ was resurrection. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. It shone in the darkness, and the darkness, past tense, has not overcome it. Satan's best attempt was at the cross. That's all he had. What if, what if the one who came from God, who was dear to God, who was God himself, was utterly rejected by the whole world, and they spit on him, and they mock him, and they put the crown of thorns on him, and they kill him? How about that? How about that for darkness's last stand, final stand? John says, it has not done it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you know how good a news that is? It 
doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how severe the sin is, how much guilt you bring to the table. It doesn't matter as long as you look to the light. The light always wins. It always does. And in John's, in John's open here, he's saying it still does. The light is continuing to shine. So if you don't know Jesus, if you have the guilt of something, whatever it is, I don't know what your sin is. If you have the guilt of that, here is in a very simple illustration, but a, but a profound truth. Here is how you solve that. You walk in the light. You confess your sins. You bring out that stuff that you've been carrying in the darkness and let the light expose it. Show it to God. Ask him for forgiveness. And then you will walk in the light. You'll be forgiven. So what kind of message is this? Okay, so Jesus is the word. God's big message to us. What kind of message is it? It's a message of hope. It's a message of hope. You guys who are living in darkness and and sometimes even still go back to the darkness, you don't have to. And the darkness won't win. If you follow Jesus, the light always wins. This is a great message of hope and help to people who need it, to people who love the darkness. Let me close with this. I, I did say that, that, that there's, maybe, there's maybe a scenario where the darkness could win. If there's not enough energy in the ba- if there's not enough battery in the light, it'll win. Well, our light is Jesus Christ, all-powerful Jesus Christ. Does he have enough? Was the cross enough to forgive you? Does he have enough power to forgive you? Let me hear the answer. Yes. yes. Right. Uh, okay, maybe the darkness wins if, if there is not enough of it. If, if, if I've got my little light here, but there's so many corners of the room and so many other rooms, the all-present, omnipresent creator of everything who oversaw the construction of the galaxies, is there enough light in Christ to forgive your sins? Let me hear the answer. Yes. yes. So there's one other way the darkness can win, and that's if we're blind. If you don't see it. We can crank on these, turn on every light, you re- exhaust every resource, and I have the power to simply do this. Not look. Not see it. Want to remain in my darkness, in my sin. I don't want to invite Jesus into my life because I'm afraid of what he'll do. I know he'll tell me to stop doing this. I know he's going to want this for me. The cost is too much. So this beautiful picture of good versus evil. And I'm spoiling the ending for you. The light wins. The light always wins. But where it intersects with you is you have a choice. You can be blind to it. You can close your eyes to it. You can, you can reject Jesus altogether. But he's calling you to step into the light. And as someone who did that when I was 14 years old, I'm asking you to do the same thing. God changed me when I came into that light. He showed me who I was. He showed me my sin. And he made me good. Not perfect, but he made me good. And he forgave me. And now I am walking with the Lord. I know him. I'm walking in the light. And I have a hope that someday I'm going to be in that bright, bright city with him. That's our hope as Christians. I hope you have that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. These pictures are really simple, and yet they're so profound. Darkness is our natural state. We're born that way. We, we, we would even, if you asked, admit that we prefer it that way. We love darkness. 
We don't want to invite eyes on what we're doing or, or somebody who might tell us that we're doing something wrong. And yet, Lord, your son lived a perfect life and that light still shines today and it's so attractive to us, Lord. We do have something in us that wants to be like Jesus, that wants to love like he did and, and, and forgive and, and show compassion like he did. So Lord, I, I pray, we're, we are all sinners here. Some of us are sinners who, who do not know you and some of us are sinners who do. I pray that whatever darkness uh, we, we are wrestling with, whatever the individual sin is, God, that you would just move in such a way that these people, that I would come out into the light and enjoy giving that sin up and being with you, God. And we will take to the bank, we will cling to it, we will hold it dear in our hearts that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise be to God that that's true in Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. We thank you for new life in Jesus' name, amen.